Welcome to the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to the Table, where we discuss issues of connection between theology and culture. And my guest today is Reg Grant who not only was a classmate of mine at Dallas Seminary many, many, many years ago, you can tell that we've been around a while, but also uh, now directs the Media Arts Program here at Dallas Seminary, and I'll get him to talk about that in just a second. I am Daryl Bach, uh, Executive Director for the Howard G. Hendricks Center for Christian Leadership and Cultural Engagement. And we're glad you're with us today. And our topic for today is probably one a little bit different than what we normally do, the kind of thing we normally do, and that is the arts and cultural engagement and how those two relate to one another. We're going to talk about the arts and how they work in a way that helps us to understand uh, both the challenge and the dilemma of being a Christian in the arts in the context of our culture. But first, Reg, tell us about the Media Arts Program here at at Dallas. Uh, Tell us about what's involved in that and your role in it. We started uh, a program in Media Arts back in 2005. Uh, actually, that's the that was the beginning for the Master of Arts in Media and Communication degree program. The prior to that, in 1994, we had begun a THM emphasis. Back in those days, we called them tracks in the the uh, Master of Theology program, the four-year program that we have here, called the Media Arts and Ministry Track. So we sort of combined them. Uh, we have THM students in the program now, and we have uh, we have master's level students in the program since 2005. I'm the director. Uh, I designed the program, and I'm directing the program now. We have Sixty-something at this point in the uh, what we call the MAMC, the Master of Arts in Media and Communication degree program, That's and student, another sixty-something students, students, yes. and uh, around twenty-something, which has been fairly consistent since 1994 in the THM emphasis part of the program. So, rough hundred-ish, uh, ninety to a hundred students in the program. So when we say media arts, what what are we talking about specifically? What kinds of specific skills are the students coming? It's fairly broad based, Daryl. It's uh, we have three emphases within the program. Uh, one is a writing emphasis, one is a presentation emphasis, and one is a worship emphasis. And when we began the program, the one with the least oomph to it was the worship part of it. We're strong in writing, strong in presentation. The worship component of it was the weakest, but over the years, since 2005 in particular, we've had more and more students wanting training in worship, and especially the theological and biblical components of worship. How do I know when I go out that I am going to be able to present accurately, clearly, interestingly, relevantly the Word of God? And so we equip those students who are going into worship ministries in local church with those tools. And we are bolstering that part of the program now so that it is truly the third leg of the stool for Masters of Arts in in media students. You know, I I see lots of people who engage in worship and and basically they go and they they play their music and, and oftentimes they don't 
talk about what's behind the hymns or the or 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 help the audience relate to what it is that they're singing. So that's a actually a pretty important skill in terms of yeah. of framing a worship service in such a way that that you get the the full impact and appreciation of what it is that you're singing or doing. Yeah, context is king, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, you you need to know the context of the composition of the hymn or the or the praise song. How in what in what social context was it developed? What was it intended for? And how does that mesh with your biblical content that you're going to be having having in the worship service, the preaching and the whole worship service? Looking at it more holistically and less compartmentalized so that what you emerge with uh, as a uh, a person who commands that contextual setting and understanding is something that's much more holistic. It's much more uh, a unit and uh, integrated uh, uh, as as part of something that that can glorify the Lord and build up His people. Now let let's come to the writing part because I take it that the writing here is all kinds of things. It can be magazine writing. It can be uh, nonfiction. It can be opinion pieces and editorial work. Am I am I right in, in saying that that's kind of the scope of what you're trying to? Right. And one of yeah. the one of the biggest blessings that we have here is uh, Sandra Glon, mm-hmm. uh, who is the uh, general editor for Kindred Spirit, uh, our magazine that we publish here at the seminary. She brings a, um, she brings the disciplines of journalistic composition to the classroom and her course that she offers, and she can teach all of the courses in writing. We have three that are offered now. Uh, we can focus the student in her particular course on more journalistic forms of writing, nonfiction types of writing. In my course, in the beginning creativity course, and the second course in advanced creative writing for ministry, we can take students into the realms of novel, screenplay, poetry, and uh, fiction forms of, of literature. But there's a, there's a movement and has been for a number of years in, the, in writing circles in uh, what they're, they call uh, literary nonfiction. Uh, so there are nonfictional pieces that are done but in a uh, it's not a non-repertorial style but it's one that is that that embraces literary value and imposes that on to a non-fiction piece so it's kind of a mixed genre really yeah uh, george will uh, mm-hmm. is a great uh, literary nonfiction writer mm-hmm. uh, his book on baseball is one of my favorites right. it's a great it's a great book and it's very well written mm-hmm. uh, James Kilpatrick is another one that is a, a wonderful his book the writer's art is uh, was a formative book in my own training and one that I continue to recommend to students it's an outstanding book that embraces literary qualities and 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 uses that in composing nonfiction material now uh, the presentation now is that I take it that's a recitation of scripture in the midst of the service, all the way over to uh, what we call uh, uh, sermons that are that are uh, developed around characters. So moving almost into acting, are we are we kind of in that direction, or would that's part of it? Okay, yeah, what that's else? Part of it. Uh, we have well, there's some technical training, although we will never we will never become. A, um, a technical school in that sense. Uh, we, our main goal is to get artists who have some experience in their fields, whether they're technicians or whether they're actors or public reader, readers of scripture, doesn't matter, and bring them into an environment where they can focus on biblical and theological content 
and then give them enough classes in their particular disciplines to exercise the sort of like a crucible where they can test their biblical and theological knowledge so that they emerge with a kind of a grid, a mesh, through which they can interpret all the stuff the world is going to throw at them and say, okay, this is good. This is good aesthetically, so we have an aesthetic judgment on it, and this is good biblically and theologically. I put those two things together and I present a package to my to my congregation. And also, it's, a, <clears throat> it's something that we're, we're trying to um, invite in people from the community who are not in in active ministry. It's sort of like a, if you're going down a road and you have a fork in the road, some of my students take this fork, and that fork is for people who are going into full-time Christian ministry. They're going to go in and be the media guy or gal in the local church. So when you mean technician, you're talking about things like audio and video, right? Audio and video, yeah. And audio is so much broader than in the old days when we talked about radio. Right. It's, there's so much more going on in audio, audio podcasts and, and a, a myriad of other mix How you mix the sound in a service and all that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, and how you shoot the, the, the stuff, and, and it was like this. I mean, the, yeah, the I actually have a son-in-law who has done both audio in, in the context of service and now does video out in the public square. He goes to sporting events and helps to run the equipment that, uh, that does yeah. all the instant replay well, and that kind go. of stuff. Well, there you go. That's that second path. Right. If the person isn't going to go into the local church, but they want to go into a more secular environment or a parachurch mm-hmm. environment, that's that other path. And we they can take this technical expertise out into the marketplace and make a difference for Christ out there. So, so your goal is not merely to train people who end up uh, necessarily ministering in the church. They can end up ministering anywhere. Yeah. They, the, the key is ministry. Right. And it's, it, the environment in which they minister is, is broad and, and variegated. Okay, so we have writing and presentation and worship, and that's the that's the core of the of the media arts program. Mm-hmm. How lo- how long a program is it? It's a two year program, sixty seven hours. So it's a hard two years, easier mm-hmm. three years, or two and a half years. Yeah. Uh, and we have fifteen hours of electives built into that sixty seven hour program. Great. Well, I I appreciate you overviewing that for us uh, and giving a sense of kind of where you're coming from. Talk about your own experience in the arts. Um, what, uh, uh, where did it start, and and what did it, what different things have you done? Uh, you've done a lot of different things. So just share a little bit of that with us, so we have a context for the conversation we're about to have. I grew up in a storytelling family in South Texas. My great uncle Rocky Reagan was one of the last great old South Texas cattlemen. Down in South Texas. South Texas, well, yes, sir. Right. Okay. Yes, sir. And it, it was a uh, every – we celebrated his birthday on the 4th of July. Oh, wow. And Uncle Rocky had a uh, – he was my grandfather's brother, and he had a little stage, and they would put his old rawhide rocker up on that stage. Mm-hmm. And all the grandkids, great-grandkids, and great-great-grandkids would – Sit around him, and he would tell stories. So Rocky was a rock for a long time. He lived he was, <laughs> yeah, right. He was a great man. He was and a t- small man. He always worked cattle. Interestingly enough, in a in a a white long sleeve dress shirt. He always wore that hmm. when he was working cattle. I have pictures of him doing. It. Hmm. He would tell stories, and we were just fascinated by his stories. So I caught the bug as a very small child, and then my dad always told us stories. One night it would be Zane Gray, one night it would be Shakespeare, and one night it would be makeup. And mm-hmm. we just, my sister and I both 
loved hearing my dad make up stories, and dad got me to start telling stories to families mm. at family gatherings. Gatherings, and from that point on, it just it took off, and I started acting when I was about nine. This episode is brought to you by the Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. So you say he made up stories. So, so these are stories he created that were variations on themes that uh, of what you were used to, or could they be all over the map? Oh, they could, well, they were all over the map. I remember we were at the end of a, a seven-year drought in South Texas in uh, 1959. Okay, that's a lot of dry land. It's, it's a lot of dry land. It was really a, a horrible drought. I mean, you could, as far as you could see, you couldn't see anything. Or very little green, nothing on the ground. Trees occasionally, but nothing on the ground. And Daddy would. Uh, uh, I remember one occasion when I heard thunder, and I remember clearly wondering what that was. It was the first time I had seen it rain. And Dad came into the bedroom where my sister and I were sleeping, and he scooped up my sister and carried her. I went barefoot because there were no stickers. There was nothing to no stickers mm-hmm. to grow. We ran down to our old tin barn, and Daddy said, just listen. And we, we lay back in the hay, and the pigs were over there, and the horse was over here, and the cattle were over here, and we lay back in the hay and just listened to that rain on the roof. It was like – and my dad had the ability to just transform anything. In that case, it became a, 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 a tin cathedral. Mm. And we just listened, and he told us some stories there laying back in the hay about Sammy Blue Jay and and uh, Sammy Coyote it was mm. Billy Blue Jay I think it was and uh, they were all farm animals his stories all had the animals that we grew up with and I grew up um, telling those stories and and I should say too I, I, I should my I had a my my whole family was storytelling but the community was a storytelling now community. where is this in South Texas it's in Live Oak County okay. uh, it's a uh, Named for all of the beautiful live oaks that grow down there. Oakville is my hometown. I was population three hundred on a good day. It's, oh it's, wow! It's tiny. Yeah. It was the county seat. It was founded in eighteen fifty six and remained the county seat. For what, four people? And, yeah. I, no. It, back then it was much larger. Oh really? Yeah. No. It, it was much larger. What killed Oakville was when the train came through in nineteen fifteen. Hmm. It went. It went. There. 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 There are some stories about. Yeah, we probably should go there. <laughs> <laughs> that went over a little bit farther to the south and to the west uh, in George West. And that Texas. killed Oakville, huh? Killed Oakville. Hmm. Yep. Yep. Wow. But it was a great place. So that's to grow as up. a child. So what about when you hit college in that area? What what what, what uh, art and media experience do you have? I grew up mainly theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine was mainly theater. I had a um, my high school teacher, Marianne Pavlik, 
would take me, set me aside in a little room, and she told me she was, she's tough, still going, still mm-hmm. going, mm-hmm. and uh, she she said she said Reg, I will work with you as long as you're serious about this. The minute that you're not serious about this, that's our last day, mm-hmm. and she. She, for six years, I had her from seventh grade all the way through the end of high school. She moved up to high school when I went to high school. Mm. And she trained me to listen, to really hear words. Mm. I had, I could tell a story, but I didn't understand about, uh, about um, the rhythm and the cadence of words and the beauty of poetry. She would put a tape recorder in front of me and she'd say, okay, now – Here's a poem. I want you to read it into this tape recorder. Hmm. And she would come back in 20 minutes, and she'd play the tape back, and she would say, now, why did you pause here? Look at the, look at the, the construction of the sentence. There's a comma here. Why didn't you pause? There's a, it's a thought break. She did that for me for six years. Hmm. And when I went to college, I went on a scholarship, an acting scholarship, largely because Marianne Pavlik poured her life into me. In those early days, and where'd you go to college? Texas Tech, Go oh, Raiders. Woo. Okay, yep. all right. So you were Lubbock. So you went to that South Texas, North Texas. Yeah, boy, I was in love with a little girl up there, and okay. we <laughs> we we uh, uh, had a had a wonderful time there in at Tech. It in those days there was usually an acting core mm-hmm. of students who would go through together, and then they would sort of pass off the scene, and I hit it just right as this this old acting core that had been there much too long hmm. was leaving the set, and I came in at a really good time. So, so you I, were part of the newbies. Yeah, I got to do between um, – um, I had it added up at one time – between 25 and 30 shows at oh, Tech wow. in four years. And it, it was just a great experience. Ron Schultz was the director in those days. Mm-hmm. Great director. Now, you haven't just acted. Although your acting is, is famous on our campus because you have reincarnated all kinds of, of poor souls of our past, <laughs> uh, Lewis Berry Chafer being among, um, among them. Uh, but, um, uh, but beyond acting, what else have you done that's in, involved the arts? I got to work with RBC Ministries up in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, sure. mm-hmm. the old radio Bible class. Yeah, Jeff Baxter's Jeff up there Baxter, now. Jeff Baxter, yeah. Yes, and Fred Hollis and right, sure. uh, the great team that they have together. Yeah. As a matter of fact, Jeff just stayed with me. Jeff and Sandy stayed with me last weekend. Well, you know, I'm visiting. You, uh, yeah, they do all kinds of video as well as yeah. uh, you know they're responsible for all kinds of things. I've done a ton of video with them related to biblical themes. So it's a that's a fine organization. It is. They're they're people of high integrity, and they. Uh, I was a. Uh, for lack of a better term, like a field producer for them for about 10 years. We did uh, local and international shoots, and I would be on those shoots. Sometimes I was acting. Sometimes I was coaching talent. Um, I would. Be, we had one in particular where Dr. P, Dr. Pentecost, mm-hmm. uh, went over to Israel in 1985 mm-hmm. because we thought Dr. P was kind of getting up in years and we ought to try to do something before he faded from the scene. <laughs> he's still, he's, he's still, still here. He's still fading. <laughs> He's still here. It's been a long yeah. fade, and he's just going great. He's teaching, and and we we got to go to Israel with him and shoot uh, the life of Christ. Hmm. And I was his uh, like attaché. That was in, in the nineteen eighties, eighty five. Wow, yeah, it was in eighty five with wow. Jeff and yeah. Fred and the boys. I remember when that took place. That were here then. For, right. Jeff was here then. Right, and it it being able to be with these men, these godly men like Doctor P over mm-hmm. there. I tell you, one of the greatest things. 
about being with him and with these other people. It's all part of this media arts uh, environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were we were shooting once on the Mount of Olives, and we had a shot set up in the early morning where it's just opposite Stevens Gate, uh, where we think perhaps the soldiers exited to come across the Kidron to get Jesus from Gethsemane. Hmm. Uh, and uh, it was my job to prep Dr. P and give him the cue to go. So the cue is action. Prep didn't mean didn't mean prep him for what he was going to say, but no. prep him for timing. Prep him for timing, timing yeah. and, and make sure he he had his makeup uh-huh. on and get make sure he was comfortable and things uh-huh. like that. So he was about oh, 30, 40 yards away. And I saw him looking right across the Kidron at St. Stephen's Gate. And and I said, Okay, Dr. P, you ready? And he nodded and I I said, Okay, and action. And he paused, and nothing happened. And, and I looked up at my DP, at the director of photography, Fred, and I said, I said, let's, we'll do it again. I say, okay, and action. And nothing happened. And I looked down, and he took out a handkerchief, and he had to wipe his eyes. Mm-hmm. He was weeping. Mm-hmm. It was his 15th time to Israel. It was, this wasn't a new experience for him. Yeah, but it was but still he's moving. So connected yeah. to the story and to the land and to his Savior mm-hmm. that we were witness to the the ongoing transforming effect of a man whose life has been given over to serving Jesus Christ, and we got to see it because we we had the privilege of recording it and and putting it out there for people to enjoy from then on. Okay, so you've done acting, you've done the technical side of of media arts. I know you write, Mm -hmm. so where did that come from? Oh boy, Uh, I think it's it's combined with film. My love for film and my love for writing were happened sort of at the same time. When I was a boy, there were two films that influenced me for the rest of my life, and I'll I'll show you how that relates to the writing part of it. I saw, um, when I was about 10, I saw a film uh, called Lost Horizon Hmm. with Ronald Coleman, uh, an old 1937, I think it was, film, and I believe he won Best Actor or it won Best Picture, something like that. Well, that film made me want to be an actor. Hmm. Like the next year, I saw uh, another film that was Goodbye, Mr. Chips. And it was a wonderful film, and that film made me want to be a teacher Hmm. when I was about 11. Those films stuck with me so much, and I fell in love with the words in the films. And I started writing as a result of viewing those films. I started writing little essays, and I became the editor for The Shorthorn, which was the the newspaper in our – in um, my junior high school. Oh, wow. Became the editor of that and then did other writing things. Well, years roll by and I'm and I'm writing uh, mostly novels. I've written two textbooks, a couple of novels. And uh, I was I, we were we were shuffling around some books on my bookshelf at the at the house. And you know how you when you're in Daryl, you're in a, a bookstore and you see a book and you think, "Yeah, I'm going to get that book. I'll read it someday." And then you put it on your bookshelf and it's 10 years later and you haven't read it yet. I was going along and I saw the the book uh, goodbye mr chips hmm. on my shelf i didn't even remember buying it and i thought i'm just going to read that book and i pulled it off and i i was moving down the shelf and i looked on the same shelf was another book 
that was Lost Horizon. Hmm. I had bought both books separately years before. I looked on the spine of the book. They were both written by James Hilton, Hmm. and I had no idea that he had authored both books. That said to me, there is something about this. There's some resonance going on between a reader and some writers with whom they they match up, they connect, that made me say, okay, now there's somebody out there that might read one of my books that would be inspired to give their lives to the Lord in a a, a self-sacrificing, loving way. And if I can just influence one person uh, to do that, then the ripple effect will take care of itself. Join us next week for part two of The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.